0: Courtney and I have never met in person, instead we've connected through virtual meetings.
1: We quickly realized that Betty and I enjoy brainstorming together about ministry, faith, and life, and that we have a lot to learn from one another.
2: A
0: virtual time together has felt similar to sitting down with a friend over a cup of coffee, something that feels so foreign since the start of the pandemic we found ourselves talking about life, theology, and asking all the big questions without ever having to leave with any answers. So we decided to turn this
1: cup of coffee experience into a podcast. We're building a platform that invites
0: others to ask the big questions you don't always feel comfortable asking. We'll use wonder as a tool to dig us out of these questions and help us reimagine our ways of doing ministry. So grab a cup of coffee or beverage of
1: your choice we'll let wonder percolate together
0: hi i'm betty wynn and um, my pronouns are she her and hers i am court von lindern
1: my pronouns are they them and
0: theirs and i'm grateful to
1: be working with betty and i feel like our jobs have a lot of intersection as we continue to build brave and inclusive space for folks. And I'm glad that we get to be here and explore together and ask questions together and wonder with one another. So thanks for tuning in wherever you are. So Betty, today my question for you is what's percolating?
0: So just to share with uh, friends out there, as Court mentioned, uh, we serve on staff. here on the Mountain Sky Conference of the United Methodist Church. And we have an opportunity to check in as staff every day ever since the pandemic started as a way to just share information, but then also um, have a time to learn and explore with one another, hear from one another, and then spend some of um, prayer mutual support. But a few weeks ago, I was leading staff in what um, I've learned from the Center of Courage Re- Center for Courage and Renewal, Renewal, sorry, Center for Courage and Renewal, and a lot of the work comes from Parker Palmer, and um, we talked about the five habits of heart that help make democracy possible. Now that I think about it, we um, had this conversation the week of the elections, and I think I was like, oh, I forgot that this is during the week of election. So there was some tenderness and just vulnerable. And I'm, I'm grateful that we had safe and brave space this year. But I'll share really, really quickly, for those who aren't familiar, the five habits of the heart from um, Parker Palmer. And and what's been percolating is comes out of, of these five um, habits. So one is an understanding that we are in this together. Second, an appreciation of the value of otherness. Third, is an ability to hold tension in life-giving ways. Fourth, is a sense of personal voice and agency. And five, a capacity to create community. So I think these are so helpful in the work that I do around anti-racism and what it means to always remind ourselves that we are in this together and it's not easy, and how, how do we how do we do this thing called community together? But, um, Court, in our conversation during staff meeting, you had mentioned something about otherness that sparked my curiosity, and it's been percolating in my mind ever since. What does otherness mean? What does it mean to be in communi- community together? And so, yeah, do you remember some of the thoughts that you had at that time? Yeah, absolutely, and I I have to
1: say, I was appreciative that we were having this conversation uh, during election week. I know that sometimes um, when we're in our jobs or careers, wherever we are, whether that's uh, working in ministry or nonprofit or in a corporation or whatever we may be doing for a job, it's really easy to separate what's going on in the world mm-hmm. and like our work. And I feel like our work is so ingrained in what is going on in the world. Like We have to be engaged with it. We have to understand what's going on. Mm-hmm and especially when something like an election is coming up in a year that to me feels pretty important pretty big um we have to be able to affirm those feelings that people are feeling and i know for me it helps make me feel a little bit braver or more confident in my position and then also i feel like i trust my uh colleagues more when i kind of know where they are and what they're thinking and i can recognize like oh like we are all kind of feeling this worry this anxiety um, this fear or whatever it may be um, that comes out of those conversations and so i think for me that was just a way of helping create communities but to come back to that idea of otherness um i think what i had talked about that week was how we define the other so and in order to to define the num the other we have to define the norm Um, and when i think of what is defined as normal it tends to be in terms of identity, and if it's okay if I name that.
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. So when I think of like what we deem as normal or what has been deemed normal is usually the straight, cisgender, white, Christian, even wealthy male. Um, And so when we think of like this appreciation of otherness, I think of anything that deviates from what we've established as the norm. Um, So transgender, black, um, indigenous. not straight, queer, um, poor, female, non-binary, agender, like whatever um other deviation of this established norm would be. And then how do we hold that value of otherness? Because I think for me, it can be a challenge to recognize as a queer, non-binary person that the opposite of me is just the cisgender, straight, white, straight male. And white's not opposite. I'm also a white person. So that's yeah. Shared there. Um, But it's hard for me then to also like think of how do I hold space for, I guess, like my my oppressor in a way, if that makes sense. Um, and so I kind of find that tension between what is otherness and how do we how can I appreciate otherness if that other is something or someone that is fighting against me or my existence yeah. or the existence of many of my siblings, um, queer yeah. and otherwise. Yeah, so that's kind of how I thought of otherness. And I'm curious, what, how, how do you think of otherness? What does that mean for you in
2: this conversation? Yeah.
0: yeah, I so appreciate you bringing this up. And I think this is my own decolonization work that I have to do too. And just thinking from my immediate feelings right now, you know, as a Asian American female, everybody I see, I I think is other, right? And and, and the practice is how do we see appreciation, in that, right? But what's coming up for me is, and I say my own decolonization is because I do see white male. So I do see otherness in dominant culture. My concern for myself, and this is where this conversation is helpful, is because I think again, I'm just thinking out loud, that there is otherness in dominant culture, then I tend to forget that dominant culture is dominant culture, that it has a way of umbrellaing and deep-rooted in our society. And maybe that's my Pollyanna kind of, you know, personality anyway, like, oh, yeah, there's uniqueness in this person, there's, you know, beauty in this person, and there's, you know, giftedness in this person. Um, I I forget that there is dominant white male culture, right? And because of that, I'm in that water myself as an Asian-American woman. And I forget that there are easy to forget that there is oppression in many levels. No, I I shouldn't say I should forget that there's oppression because, yes, that's part of my work. But in my daily, you know, in the simple everyday things, that there is a leaning towards dominant culture, And sometimes I need to really keep myself in check and recognize, oh, the language I use, uh, the way I hold meetings, the way I respond to things could be very much influenced by the dominant culture, the normal culture, right? What you had thought of. So all that to say is that there is that tension of, oh, yeah, I feel like as a person, I'm working towards seeing otherness and uniqueness in all people. But the, the caveat in my own decolonization work is the recognizing in all levels, right? So the systematic racism stuff, again, part of my work is very blatant. But it's in the everyday, the little things that I can easily forget. Like, oh, that's just a unique thing. Nope, that's actually part of dominant culture and it's not healthy. I was listening to you
1: talk and I was thinking, you know, like even if the other to us is like the like who exists in the dominant culture, there's a way to still appreciate that. Right. And to hold space and appreciate more otherness, whatever that is other from us, um, I can still appreciate the cisgender straight white man. Mm -hmm. And I can still see and recognize the gifts that he may bring to the table or does bring to the table in a lot of cases. But I think because of the systems of oppression, um, Mm -hmm. colonization, patriarchy, racist, like whatever you want to name it, white supremacy, even Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because of those, it is so easy to like default to the cisgender straight white man. And so in a way, to me, that's like communicating like this is the way that it's always been done. Mm-hmm. So let's try something new. But then, like, how do we still hold that space? so we're not excluding anybody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in ministry, I feel like that that's our goal is to not close doors on people, but to like bring others in and make sure that they still have a voice that is heard.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then holding that tension of, you know, how am I listening to the black trans woman and making Mm -hmm. sure that Mm -hmm. I am upholding her concerns and not letting them be wiped out by the cisgender straight white man or anyone else who's not a black trans woman? Um, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: You're right. I mean, I think a reminder that I go back to the communion table, right? And we've had conversations about this, that in this time in our communities and our country and even our our world it almost seems like within the christian faith you know we are setting up different communion tables right and so what does it mean that we're sharing communion together that we make room and how do we appreciate otherness as using the five habits of the heart and value otherness i think that goes back to our work of how do we amplify right like where does power um, is shared not over you know shifting of who makes decisions default decisions right and then amplifying voices and I see this you know still the struggle of sharing this piece of pie this myth that we have to share this piece of pie like if if somehow you know like you said a trans black woman voice is amplified that somehow that means the white male straight white white male voice is less than you know like how how do we how do we value otherness and share in that and And, you know, going back to that first habit is that we're in this together. So that myth of shared pieces of pie, we can, we don't default to that. And I, you know, I think in conversations I've had with colleagues and, and other people, whether within the church, outside the church, it just comes from fear. You know, like if we share power, then somehow we're going to be less than, but that's a myth that we have to dispel and i think the other question for you you know um, and 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 i would love to learn um and it's an ongoing i think conversation is so we do you know value otherness and we do have diverse voices uh representation at the table is it safe to stay at the table if there are oppressors in in our presence right what does that look like? How do we hold that tension? And, you know, the third habit is holding tension in life giving ways. So, you know, for me, is there a space where it's not life giving and, and, and something, you know, we can't, we can't continue the way it is.
1: So you had mentioned earlier on, you know, it's as though we're all setting up our own communion tables mm-hmm. and thinking of that in context of what does it mean? Like, is like, At what point is it no longer safe even to sit Mm -hmm. at the table with, Mm -hmm. say, like your oppressors? Mm -hmm. Do you think we have to be at the same communion table to be in Mm -hmm. communion with one another?
0: You know, I have been thinking about that a lot. I used to believe so. I like to think so. But I don't know. I feel that I've been struggling a lot with that, especially, you know, through this election. I don't have a definite answer all I know is that I'm definitely questioning what that looks like yeah what community looks like and I do believe I will say this I do believe when I say we're at the communion table together a shared table that we're not having to be all in agreement um, but that we're struggling together you know that we're learning we're constantly evolving and being transformed by each other but yes but when there's continue oppression, what does what does that look like? What is communion for you?
2: Got yeah,
0: happen. for me in this in this time and space particularly, I'm reminded that the early Christians, for them to take communion, it was kind of like saying our allegiance is to, to God. And for me in this time and place is saying that our discipleship in our callings, and our relationship to God and one another is first and foremost, not government or political affiliation. Now, with that being said, clearly how we voted have, has clear consequences and, you know, things like that. But for me, it's like, you know, communion is a shared uh, commitment that our calling, my calling is bigger than myself and bigger than the worldly systems that I'm in. So that's the kind of context that I have right now in this time of place. And so that's why communion for me is what is the image that I come to. I think uh, I go back to the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus a lot too lately. And I feel like that dinner that Jesus had or that meal that Jesus had with Zacchaeus is communion in the sense that lives are transformed when we share that together share that time and space, that, meal, you know, that um, vulnerability, that willingness to learn and be transformed by one another. That's what communion is meaning to me. How about you? Yeah, I guess I always come back to, I was
1: in one of my, like, United Methodist classes or something like that, and mm-hmm. uh, my professor, Dr. Kathy Kelsey, I'm pretty sure, said something along the lines of, like, you know, this is like a meal that Christians and people have been having together for like thousands of years, which in thinking about it, like that act of like, you know, taking the bread or the wafer. I've never had a wafer for communion. Um, I've always had bread. Um, But like taking the bread and like having the grape juice, if you're Methodist, um, well cheese, because that's obviously the best grape juice out there. Um, but this like act of having this meal with one another is like recognizing that like we've been doing this since Mm -hmm. Jesus sat down at the table of his disciples Mm -hmm. and broke the bread and poured the wine and said like this is my body this is me like given to you Mm -hmm. um you know so do this in remembrance of me and I think about that all the time of like how that act connects us and like Mm -hmm. that like sense of ritual like that's why we do Mm -hmm. ritual right is to like Be connected to something bigger than ourselves or like with a community of people. Mm -hmm. And so when I think of communion, I always go back to that story and the Last Supper and Jesus essentially looking his betrayer, Judas, in the eye Mm -hmm. and saying, like, one of you will betray me tonight. And they're like, oh, like, we would Mm -hmm. never do that, Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then later Mm -hmm. on, that's exactly what happens. And
2: Mm -hmm. in the end,
1: like, it gets Jesus put on the cross. And Mm -hmm. so. I struggle thinking Mm. of like you know this appreciation of otherness and like sitting at the table say like my my actual oppressor so not just like the cisgender white man who's like trying to um break down his own yeah power and whatever within himself but like I don't know if I were to sit down with like Mike Pence or somebody um if I'm speaking explicitly and i too political here but like there's a struggle with that because I would have to essentially look my Judas in the eye and say mm. like I am choosing to share this meal with you and mm. even though Mike Pence and I would probably wouldn't be very good friends we probably wouldn't interact well together mm. we still take communion together as Christians and that's strangely powerful um I don't know how I feel about it I'll just say it's powerful I don't know what kind mm. of power it is. but being able to come at it from that perspective of
2: mm.
1: we might be working towards different goals we might be following the faith in very very different ways but I still am having this meal with you this is I don't want to say like I might still end up on the cross because that sounds very like comparing myself to Christ and that's mm. not at all what I'm attempting to do here but
0: yeah i don't hear that i understand yeah Mm -hmm.
1: yeah and so if i am committed to serving people and being engaged in community and following christ um Mm. and the ministry that i think that christ believed in Mm. that sometimes means that i'm gonna sit down at the table with judas we'll share a meal together there'll be consequences to both of our actions um but i have a choice to either say I will like share this experience with you or I will walk away and I don't know if Christ would walk away. And so I struggle, yeah. like, could I do the same?
0: But yeah, that's what comes up for, communion for oh my <laughs> that I'm, I'm getting teary-eyed. That's such a powerful image. And now that you brought it up, you know, I think I've been a part of gatherings where we know, uh, you know, there was an no- acknowledgement as a body that there has been tension and pain. And yet we end, or, you know, usually we end with communion. And there's this kind of like, what's going to happen? Who's going to, you know, and usually, you know, in big gatherings, there's several stations and, you know, almost this anticipation of those who, you know, experience pain, like personal pain at this particular event, are they going to receive communion? Are they going to come up and receive communion from the person who, who, who they've experienced pain from and vice versa. Right. And I feel now that you've mentioned that, I I feel like maybe I have um, pushed those kind of um, anxious moments aside or hid it back somewhere in my mind. But gosh, those are very powerful images. And as you were sharing, I was thinking about some of the work around cultural competency and anti-racism. I've been hearing um, wisdom around do we want to be right or do we want to be effective or do we want to be right or do we want to be in right relationship? And when I think about, and I'm just going to say this, and I could be wrong, is that perhaps our faith is not about being right, it's in being right relationship, right? I mean, some might say like, no, Betty, there's a right way to think about our faith. There's a, you know, doctrine and theology that you have to adhere to, right? I mean, I I assume there's argument for that. And if you don't believe on that you're wrong, right? i you know i am reminded that this is about relationship at least for me over being right now does it mean that i and we stop fighting for what we believe is right probably you know i i think we're going to be engaged in this work and advocacy and justice and educating and and resourcing for the rest of our lives, I hope that I will be faithful to that calling. So yeah, but at the same time, what does preserving or working on relationship look like? Yeah, that's gonna be something I'm gonna percolate more on. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. And I think I
1: share that mutually um, with like other colleagues and you as well in terms of that same kind of idea of like, you know, like how can I, Mm-hmm. stand in solidarity or like also like bear some of the burden um, mm-hmm. in your yeah. work and vice versa mm-hmm. and like make sure that I'm uplifting the right voices in my area of advocacy mm-hmm. and yeah I think it's I don't know where I'm going with this <laughs>
0: <laughs> no so. but it's just I, I think that's just uh what we were just talking about is just mm-hmm. like how you know they're like if we're thinking of you know be in communion with those who are oppressors um that there's something powerful like you said you know what that means you know um might evolve or change depending on what's happening or the context but there's something powerful about that but then um i think you know what i was saying is just like there there's going to be harm done there's going to be pain inflicted right and so how much of that do we expect um uh, our, each other to bear right one another to bear, and how do we support one another so that we can do this work in the the long term right um so what does self care and um yeah all of that means but like that's a conversation for another time though. so back to you know capacity i mean um appreciation of the value of otherness what i'm hearing from our conversation is like there's something beautiful about that and there is risk and uncomfortableness and pain um that can come with it too yeah
1: yeah and i think about it too coming back to that about like who who we appreciate um and i think coming back to communion and that act of essentially eating at the table with one another um I think that's also an act of like recognizing the humanity or even like the divine in each other. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, when I think for myself in my work, like who am I, I don't want to say prioritizing, but in a way like prioritizing, like whose voice am I choosing to appreciate and elevate in a way that it continues to be life-giving for what I think is everybody, right? Because I think we can all learn from each other. Um, But if say, the oppressor in that situation doesn't want to be in that community and sit at that table. That's not, that's not on me. Um, I've been thinking about that in this conversation is like, cause we, we were talking about this before, like what happens when people leave the table, um, in this work and people are leaving the table mm-hmm. over Black Lives Matter, over mm-hmm. LGBTQ inclusion. And mm-hmm. I'd argue that they're quicker to leave over Black Lives Matter than they are, um, LGBTQ inclusion, and that's coming from uh, Bishop Easterling, who's talking about that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's so like what happens when people leave, and like it's
2: painful.
1: But if like I can't make you sit at the table where right. you don't want right. to like bread drink yeah.
2: the yeah, wine. Um, yeah. I don't know. What are your yeah. thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Right, and then so whether they leave there, there's a leaving or whether there's an unwelcoming you know all of that right um i think the immediate thought that came to me to my mind is i'm so grateful for the reminder often at a communion and i hear this um you know at our methodist churches and i'm sure this is at other denominations too but that this is god's table right and so Boy, yeah, a reminder that as participants of and those who are officiating, um, that this is God's table. So if, I'm, if I am the clergy person, you know, sharing communion, and I know there's somebody who I don't agree with, could be my oppressor, <laughs> uh, am I going to be able to serve communion um, without judgment, Right. And then if I'm attending um, or participating in communion and I feel like, oh, I'm in the midst of those who I might not be in agreement, perhaps some oppressors, then am I willing to to come to, to receive with my hands opened, right? And so a reminder that this is God's table hopefully will help me put some of those things aside. And it's, you know, in the Methodist church too, we have traditions, right? Like that people baptized or not can have communion, children and adult, you know, it's an open table, but it's not a Methodist table or a, you know, the church's table, it's God's table. So um, in that sense, it's just um, a reminder that it's not just a table for those who are uniquely physically together. It's not a table uniquely for those who are Methodists, but for all others, I guess if we're gonna, you know, go back to the original kind of question. Thanks for percolating with me about this. Thanks for sharing your experience and story and your wonderings. Yeah, I really appreciate it, and I really appreciate that we can talk from our different um, identities and life experiences, right? And I, I think we, that's that's the the invitation for us I think as we continue to be in ministry and community is recognizing the different lived experiences and yeah how that how that influences um what being in community and relationship looks like
2: yeah yeah thank you I know I
1: appreciate being able to have these conversations and wonder together I think you encourage me to think in different ways like I think that at the end of the day, I think we're headed toward the same goal, but we come about it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that comes back to that appreciation of otherness. Like I, like mm-hmm. I appreciate the way that you approach these topics and these conversations, and it, like, it grounds me in a way. Sometimes when I'm like missing that piece of grounding mm-hmm. and remembering that, mm-hmm. you
2: know, we're all we're all people,
1: we're all human, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So thank you for your
0: insight and your wisdom and your ministry. Well. Until our next episode. Until our next <laughs> we'll keep, episode. We'll, yeah, we'll continue to percolate wonder together.
1: Yeah.
2: Awesome. Yeah. And
1: thanks to our listeners for percolating alongside of us. Yeah, you can catch us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts,
0: basically anywhere where you can get your podcasts. Uh, <laughs> Sounds
2: good.
0: Yeah. I'm Court Von Lindern. And I'm Betty Nguyen. Take care.
1: Thank you for listening to Percolating Wonder. Be sure to like and subscribe or follow us depending on what podcast platform you're listening on. If you're tuning in on Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. And remember, tell your friends.